0: accent. I don't have it, but what's it called? Um, I was born there. I was born in the church. I was born and raised in the Church of Christ for, I'd say, since I was in the womb. My mom was taking me, my parents were taking me to church for a very long time, and so I've been in the church. I've grown through it, and um, from there, I went to a non-denomination Christian school in uh, Philly. It was called Philadelphia Biblical College, but it was really in like Langhorne, Pennsylvania, closer to New Jersey, spent three years there. That was perfect for my faith because it was every denomination under the sun. So it really forced me to truly understand why is Church of Christ the way that is. Why do we follow what we follow? Why is the Bible the truth, the light? And that's where we found our foundation. So from there, I spent three years there and then I did the unthinkable and I transferred my senior year. If anybody's in college, that is not the smart thing to do. Do not do that. Um, praise God I when I transferred to OVU, all my credits transferred. So it worked out, it wasn't that bad. But then I spent another three years at Ohio Valley University. Um, What's it called? Uh, So from, when I was in Philly, I was a physical education major. So like a gym teacher, that was the goal. And that was the thing, I played volleyball there and um, played for three years. And then I ended up transferring to OVU. And because it was a non-denomination Christian school, I had to take Bible classes. But I'll be honest y'all, I'm not, a preacher. I didn't grow up with that mentality. I'm, I'm not, that's not really my thing. I don't get excited for this type of stuff. Um, for me, I get excited more for Bible class. That's why the majority of my job at, at Southside has to deal with the youth. So I really am the youth minister just this past, I would say this past month is when I started as associate minister. But we just needed more organization and things like that. Hence, that's why I got the master's degree in instructional leadership. But what's it called from I was phys ed. then when I went to Ohio Valley University all my Bible credits transferred and they were like hey if you take some more Bible classes become a Bible major we'll give you some scholarship so I was like hey all right I need the money so it wasn't really so much of that I went to go seek the Lord honestly the Lord called me into this ministry and so I answered the call from there I spent three years there met my lovely fiance Alana And from there, I was actually in a singing group. um, Again, I was chasing that money. They was offering um, partial or half scholarship for anyone who was in an a cappella singing group. I was actually the beatboxer. I really didn't sing that much. I had one solo, but I did what I needed to do to get that money, amen? And so I traveled all over the East Coast with the singing group, and that's actually how I came across Southside. I came, we sang at Southside for one of their youth rallies back, maybe about four or five years ago, made connections there, and then through, the, through time, I went and applied to a whole bunch of different churches, and then we wanted to go and set our roots at Southside. So I say all that, I got a bachelor's degree in um, physical education, I have a bachelor's degree in physical studies, I have a master's degree in instructional leadership, that does not mean that I'm smart, what that means is pray for my loans, amen? That's all that that means. So, but like I said, I was born and raised in the church. And again, I wasn't called or I was called into this ministry. This isn't something that I was born and raised. And I was like, I'm going to be a preacher when I grow up. But as I was growing in my ministry, I found three things that I really wanted to focus on whenever I preach, whenever I'm with the kids, whatever I'm doing. And those three things are being relatability, authenticity, and community. Those are the three things that I really try to hammer home. And that big one that I really wanna talk about today is authenticity. Um, I wanna be real, I wanna be honest, I wanna be myself. As a preacher said, he calls it being hot, being humble, open, and transparent. I wanna be humble, open, and transparent with you guys. And it's one of those things that, sadly, when I look to my right or I look to my left, I don't see a lot of people my age still in the church. And I grew up in the church, so these are a lot of my friends, these are a lot of my peers, And if I'm being honest, I believe one of the reasons why they haven't stayed so strong is because we haven't been authentic enough with God. I I, I say this a lot. We did a lot of selling about God more than we did a lot of telling about God. So if you you grew up kind of how I did, you grew up in the, the late 90s, early 2000s where church was popping. I bet some of you guys remember late 90s, early 2000s church, probably even here, it was popping. If we was doing the camps, and we was doing youth rallies, and everything was about the numbers. It was about numbers. We got 200 and this many kids. we driving here doing this, and we're going to get these kids baptized. We're going to show them the love of Christ. And it was all about, not, not intentionally, but a lot of it was selling God. We were trying to get people to buy in to God, more than telling who God is. And that's really when I'm talking about authenticity. That's what I want to talk about today. Let's talk about who God is. Let's get real. Let's get transparent. Let's tackle some of those difficult questions. One of the things I talked about at um, Southside a couple months ago was talking about how God blesses, but he also breaks. We don't talk about that a lot. We don't talk about, yes, God will bless you. God will give you what you need. But sometimes God will weigh on you and put load on you into a point where you have no other choice but to follow him. And that's, that's the real God. We don't want to tell everybody about that. Or um, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I talked about walking through the wilderness. We always say, oh, the Israelites, they were walking through the wilderness. They, weren't diso- they were disobeying God. And God had to work on them until they were ready for the promised land. What happens when you're not disobeying God, and yet you still have to go through the wilderness? Because that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus ain't do nothing wrong. But it says the spirit led him into the wilderness. And so that's really what I want to talk about, some difficult, not inappropriate like things that you can be like, oh, what are we talking about? But just difficult, honest questions. And can I be hot with y'all this morning? Yeah. If I'm being honest, sometimes God doesn't make sense. I'm going to say it again because that's our sermon title for today. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. And before y'all judge me, let, let, let me talk about this. Let me explain this. Um, this actually originated with a conversation that I had at my first church that I worked at, baby. I've been in ministry for about six years now. So my first church that I worked at, I worked with a youth group, and there was this young girl in the youth group, and she came up to me and she said, Randall, can I be honest? Sometimes I question God. And that's real, that's real. If we're being honest, humble, open, and transparent, sometimes we question God. And this girl, her mother went through cancer. Her mother had cancer. And the girl was saying, between the, the radiation and the chemo, it took a toll on my family. It took a toll on me. It took a toll on her dad. It took a toll on her sisters. And it was one of those things that um, when I was talking to her, I was like, but I know your mother. Your mother went and survived, and she's a cancer survivor. Why are you questioning God? That should be your proof right there. And she was like, it's not that she survived. It's the fact that we had to go through all this. She was like, if she was going to survive all this time, why did she have to go through all this? Why did we have to go through all this? And that is real, right? Sometimes I know some of you guys are thinking about times where you went through some stuff, and you made it out OK, but you're like, God, why? Like, what, why, why are you doing this? And I know we're raised not to question God, but that's not what I read in my Bible. I read in my Bible a lot of people questioning God. I'll give you some examples. In Job 7, verse 20 to 21, it says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. That's Job. Y'all remember Job? Job went through it all, lost his family, lost his livestock, lost everything. And in that moment, what did he do? He was questioning, why? What did I do? And the Bible said he never sinned in this, but he definitely did question God. Why? I think about the apostles. Remember the apostles, the disciples of Jesus? They were questioning God. They were questioning Jesus every five seconds. Lord, why'd you do this? What, what, what do you mean by that? One of my favorite is when he says, um, be careful of the Pharisees of their bread. And they're like, did you bring the bread? Out the Jew? And he's like, I'm not talking about their actual bread. It's talking about what they produce. He was They were questioning them all the time. And then if you really want to get deep with it, I think about, remember what did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that breaks my head, it hurts my head because that's God in the flesh questioning God in heaven. But yet, we're say, we say you're not supposed to question God. So, so we're, we, I, I think it's okay to question God, but I think what I call them is, is they cause faith fractures. And, and you know that the, the, the myth is when you break a bone, if you let it heal, it comes back stronger. Just so you know that is a myth, that's not true. Your bone comes back exactly the same. But I do believe when it comes to faith fractures, if you can heal those, I do believe you come out stronger. I know some of y'all have been through some stuff that if I said, hey, I'm going through this, y'all be like, yeah, I remember that. But, but I, I'm still faithful. I'm still encouraged. I can still serve and do what needs to be done. And those faith fractures, I think sometimes they're caused by a theology. And, and um, it, it's a principle. It's called the retribution principle. And I'll read you the definition really quick. You guys know what this is. This is the, the You're supposed to be biblical with it and sound all fancy. But this is the definition. It says, the retribution principle is a term used in ancient Near East studies In Old Testament studies to refer to the various forms of the belief that the righteous will prosper while the wicked will suffer. All that means is this principle is what makes, we believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's what's in our, we think about that sometimes. I know y'all have lived long enough to know that's not true. I know there's some bad people that you're like, man, they got some blessings over there. I know there's some good people that you know that's like, man, I wish they never, had to go through that. So, what's it called? I think that we can revisit this passage that we read and understand the faith fractures. And I think if we can heal that, we can again make sense of the times when God doesn't make sense. So, before we get into the content, which is my three points, I got three points, let's go over the context. Brother Lorenzo did a great job. So, let's revisit that story. I'm going to give you the RSV version of the Bible. That's Randall's standard version. That's not an official canon of the Bible. But I'll give you the RSV version of that. So, gee, let me get some water first, because I'm going to start drying up. Here we go, here we go. So, Jesus is in the vicinity of Beth, uh, Bethany. In Bethany, there's a man named Lazarus. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary, and he has Martha. Lazarus is sick and he's on the brink of death, but nobody's upset because Lazarus has a BFF and his B, the BFF's name is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ, the man who walked on water. This is the man who healed um, the lame man. He healed blind eyes. He, he fed the 5,000 with, um, with some red lobster biscuits and some fish fillet. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. So nobody's upset. So Martha and Mary, what do they do? They know Jesus is in town. It literally says that he's only two miles away. So Martha and Mary, they send word. If it was in this time, they tweet out to Jesus, say, Jesus, your homeboy is sick. So Martha and Mary, if I was them, if he's only two miles away, I would have gave them maybe about an hour, hour 30. They got sandals. They don't got the running shoes like we got now. Give them an hour, hour 30 to get there so that they can heal their friend, Lazarus. So if I was Mary and Martha, I'd I'd probably go out and wait, look out into the distance, check my watch, maybe about an hour, hour and a half rolls by, but there's no Jesus. So she's probably thinking, hey, he probably got tied up, you know, everybody wants some healing, everybody wants something from him. Maybe I'll just wait till the end of the night. She goes back inside, comes back, end of the night, looks out, no Jesus. She's probably thinking, all right, maybe at the temple. You know how church people get. They take too long. They don't know when to go home. He'd probably swarm in the Lord. Let me go to bed. When I wake up, surely Jesus will be here. She does all that, wakes up, no Jesus. Now, if I was her, I'd be upset. Because because I would think, Lord, like, I called you. I asked you into this situation. you're, You're the Messiah. We know you. Where are you at? And and that's the biggest thing about the misconception of, of just being a Christian sometimes. Sometimes we think the more and more we call on Jesus or the more and more we call on the Lord, he's supposed to answer us exactly when we said. Or, or the more and more we love God, he's supposed to love us more and more. And that's not always the case. God loves us all the exact same. Um, it's one of those things that when I think about it, we think, no, I'm skipping steps. So what is it called? She calls out for the Lord. And, and you've got to remember, too, it says that Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. So when you think about the healings that are going on, Jesus has healed so many random people that he didn't know. Surely you would think the people that he loves, the people that he's close with, the people that know him, they'd be the first one to get the healings. The first ones, when they call on him, he would answer. And that's, that's not always the case. And so she's calling on him. And then you've got to remember, too, Jesus has done more for less. So, so what I mean by that is technically Jesus didn't even need to be there. Because remember the centurion soldier? What, what happened with him? His servant, his soldier was, was down and out, and he came to Jesus and said, Lord, can you heal my servant? Jesus said, let's go. He said, man, I don't even need you to come. I'd have the faith enough that that healing can travel through the air and it can get to where it needs to be. So, so why is Jesus not coming? I mean, have you ever been there? When you ask Jesus just for a little bit, I'm not asking to be a millionaire. I'm not asking for the great promotion. I'm just asking for this one little thing. I'm your humble servant, Lord. Why are you not doing what, what, what I need you to do? And, and that's what ends up happening when God doesn't make sense. We start questioning things. We start trying to make sense of things. We start trying to just understand it. And so I really think that this, this passage is a great explanation of, Why God doesn't make sense. But but here we go. So Jesus now strolls up four days later, four days later. Why? Why? And notice when he shows up four days later, he's greeted by two different ways. So first we have Martha. Well, let's not go with Martha. Let's go with Mary. First, we have Mary. He's greeted with Mary, but technically he's not even greeted with Mary. Why? Because she doesn't even leave the house. She says, when you don't make sense, I'm not talking to you. And and that's that's real because when God doesn't make sense, one of the first things that's attacked is your prayer life. You start questioning, why why should I keep praying? Why should I keep talking? This didn't change my situation before. What's praying more going to do now? It's crazy because I literally had this conversation with my friend who's the same age as me going through it, and he said, man, why would I keep praying to God when my situation is not changing? I've been praying all this time. That's real. But Mary, she doesn't go to him. But then it says that she doesn't even leave the house. And there's another thing that gets attacked when, you, when God doesn't make sense. You stop going to church. You start thinking, why, why should I go? I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm tithing. I'm even being nice to people that I don't like. Come on, God. What, what is the point? But again, that's what happens when God doesn't make sense. Those things are attacked. So we have Mary over there. But we also have Martha. Now, Martha doesn't stay in the house. She runs to Jesus. She runs to Jesus and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I know that sounds great. And before we give Martha a trophy, I kind of imagine she had a little attitude with it. She's like, Lord, if you would have been here when I called you, when I needed you to come, this would have never happened. And that reminds me of of my parents. I'm glad they're not here so I can say this. Um, Y'all remember, if you grew up like me, you grew up a little old school that when your parents called you, you couldn't say, huh? You couldn't say, what? You can say what you say. You had to go downstairs and hear what they had to say. And if you didn't come fast enough, you was in trouble. And, and now my parents are getting older, getting soft. So, so now I have two younger sisters. So when they call my younger sister's name, they take their time. They'll be like, what would you say? What you talking about? And I'm like, man, it's, just, it's crazy to see your parents get older. Because it's like the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like we was raised in the Old Testament where a ride, hate a child. Um, it was over here, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And then we had to make sacrifices and all this stuff. They got the New Testament where it's all love and, and Jesus and, and just love God and love others. Don't worry about the other 10. You'll be all right. But, but I'm getting off topic. But needs to say, that, that is my parents. But that's how we act with God sometimes, right? We say, God, I want you here when I called you in this situation right now. And that, that is something that God is working on me. I ask him for a lot of things, and that patience, that patience is crucial. So, so Mary and Martha greet Jesus in different ways. And, and so, like I said, let's talk about why. Why does God wait? What do we do in those situations when God doesn't make sense? And as you guys read this, I encourage you to read this passage throughout the week. Go over it, and there's one thing I want you to do. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, please get this. Reread that whole passage that we had. And underline or highlight any of the times Jesus says the word believe. He says it so much in that passage. And we're going to cover that. But I mean, let's just look at it right here. He says in John 11, verse 40, he says, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? And like I said, highlight it. It's all over that passage. It's all over that passage. But believing, that's the key. If, when God doesn't make sense, your belief is crucial. Your belief is crucial. And I love Jesus because he always does the opposite of what culture is. And I want to work on a sermon series talking about that because I think my generation really needs to hear that. Not just my generation. Everybody needs to hear that. That Jesus is always opposite the culture. So what is the culture saying right now? I got to chase that bag. I'm on my grind. The, um, what's it called? The grind don't stop. Work don't stop. But then the Bible talks about rest. Jesus will go and rest. You remember him in the storm? He was chilling. He talks about rest. That's the total opposite of what the culture says. Or I think about how the culture says, oh, I got to be with my homies. I got to be with my crew on my ride and dies. This is what it's about. A lot of times Jesus went into a quiet place. He separated from the crowd. And even in here, when he talks about believing, he said, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believed? What was, remember, um, I'm thinking of Mickey Mouse. Remember Disney? What was their slogan to get you to come to Disney World? Seeing is believing. They said, you got to come to Disney World so you can see, so you can get the magic again. But what does the Bible say? Believing is seeing. That's why Jesus says in John 20, verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are the, come on, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's what it's about right there. So, like I said, when you when God doesn't make sense, your belief is crucial. So, so let's go. Let's get into, as I said, the meat and potatoes. Let's get into the context of what I wanted to talk about today. That was just the setup. Now I got three points for you guys. Um, they're all peas. I tried hard to make them all peas so that they lined up. You know, that's what you got to do as a preacher. I don't know. They, they took me through the classes. So, they're all peas. So the first P that we have. Is when God doesn't make sense, you have to focus on his presence and his promise, his presence and his promise. I got this in verse 21. So I'm going to read that with you guys. Verse 21 of John 11, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Again, remember the belief. The belief is crucial. But when God doesn't make sense, you've got to focus, focus on his presence and his promise. So, so I'm imagining Martha going to Jesus, and she her, her saying, and she said this twice, "Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died." And Jesus says, "Your brother's going to rise again." But she's not realizing that Jesus' is talking about this very day. He's like, "No, no, he's going to rise again." And, and she hits him with the, the, the I think of it kind of like a classic, classic cliche of Martha's like, "I know he will rise. Everyone will rise at the end of the last day. And I think sometimes we do that with scripture and, and with our church saying sometimes we, we get a little lackadaisical with them. We don't have that belief that we need under them. So we're like, I know he'll rise again or, or I know God will never put on you more that you can't handle, which that's not true. But that's just a, a churchy saying that we say all the time. God will put more on you to the point where you can't handle it, to the point where you're like, God, only you can save me. But. We'll say things like, I know weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We do that sometimes, but we forget the power that they have. Sometimes we just go through the motions. And like I said, you've got to trust in his presence and his promise. You've got to understand that, hey, God is who he says he's going to be. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He's trying to focus on that belief. He's saying, I know I don't make sense right now. Why, why did he wait two days? He waited two days, but then showed up four days later. Why? Doesn't matter. Does not matter. I, I say this. Sometimes don't let what you don't understand about God affect what you do understand about God. Yes, God doesn't make sense. Yes, God does some things that we question. Yes, God does some things and you're like, Lord, how are we going to make it through? But he's going to do it. He said he was going to do it. Remember his presence and his promise. And like I said, don't let what you don't understand about God affect what you do understand about God. I think about Isaiah 55, verse eight. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I think of that scripture in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What does it mean? It's not going to make sense. He's going to make your path straight, but it's not going to make sense. You can't que- not that you can't question. Remember what you do understand about God. God does some things we don't understand, but you've got to remember he's still faithful. He's still loving. He's still going to come through. You've got to remember Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Come on now. It's the presence and the promise. When God doesn't make sense, don't let what you don't understand about God affect what you do understand about God. Remember his presence and his promise. Point number two, I told you they appease. When God doesn't make sense, don't look at it from your perspective. Look at it from his powerful perspective. So let's read verse 11. I'm going backwards, but you guys will follow along with me. Verse 11 says, Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. This is a little confusing, but it's actually really awesome when you truly understand it. In the beginning, Jesus is saying, Lazarus is sleeping. Then he's like, oh, my bad, he's dead. And, and I love the disciples because they were like, well, if he's sleeping, then give him some rest. All he needs is some rest. He'll be good to go. It's kind of like me right now. I don't got any health insurance, so I'm, not, I'm on that good chicken noodle soup, some Robitussin, and go lay down. That's, that's what I'm on right now. So yeah, yeah, when I'm sick, yeah, go lay down. That's all I need. Give, give me some time. But Jesus is like, oh, no. To you guys, he's, he's, he's sick. Or honestly, to you guys, he's dead. To me, he's just sleeping. And that is powerful right there. When you think about it, somebody dead just to God or just to Jesus, it's as simple as, oh, I just got to go wake him up. And I think about our situations, as you guys know, the, the killings and Buffalo and just the terrible things that are happening in the world. I'm thinking about, it and I'm like, Lord, what, where are we going? How are you going to work through this? And when I think about it with my own strength and my own power, I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this, Lord. But remember to check not in your powerful perspective, but in his powerful perspective. Because it looks like mess, it looks like crazy, but to God it's something as easy as falling asleep. Just, just got to go wake him up. I think about, for me, the biggest thing that I'm worried about is, is the next generation of the church. Like I said, I look around and I don't see people my age. And one thing that I'm learning just in ministry, it does not matter how hard I try. It does not matter how hard I work. If God said it's not moving or it's not working, it's not working. I, I, I t- tell my friends sometimes I equate ministry to running into a brick wall because it, it, it's not my strength that's going to knock it down. When God is saying, okay, now now run. The, 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 the wall is soft enough. That's when it's ready. And that's kind of the faith that I have to have with this next generation is where I'm just like, I just got to keep trying. I just got to be faithful. I got to keep serving. Yes, on my power, I can't knock down that brick wall. But when I look at it from God's power, man, that ain't a brick wall, that's a bunch of Legos, amen? That you could break right through that. And, and that's the, the encouragement that I want to share too with y'all is trust his powerful perspective. Um, um, I want to read the scripture in Mark 10, verse 25. It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, everything is possible. That's it right there. That's it right there. I need y'all at Southside. We too quiet up in Southside. I need some amen. (laughs) Right, Sister Esther? We need some more of that. Okay. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. I need some more of that. But yes, we we trust in his, his presence and his promise. We trust in his powerful perspective. And lastly, we trust in his plan and his path. We'll read verse four. Read verse four. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. This is the climax of this, of the whole passage right here. I'm going to read it again. Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. That is the key of everything. When God doesn't make sense, it's for the glory of God. When God doesn't make sense or when it's hard and it doesn't seem like there's a way out, God's going to get some glory. When there's no way that you could have came up with it, and I know some of y'all are thinking about sometimes where it's like, man, there's no way to expl- explain this but God. And that's how God gets the glory. And, and the biggest thing, again, we've got to be real. We've got to be authentic with how we're preaching and how we're teaching. The glory of God, if I'm being honest, brings God glory, but it usually brings us discomfort. We don't really talk about that. We say, oh, to God be the glory. When God gets the glory, you go through some things. And, and, and I have some examples for that. My, my biggest example I think about is in Daniel. When you think about Daniel in the lion's den and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, is, those are two stories when God gets the glory. So, so I'll read to you one verse. We'll, we'll go with Daniel first. In Daniel 6, 25, verse 26, it says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and every nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. That's when God gets the glory. And we say amen to God be the glory. That's awesome. How did God get that glory? It wasn't when the cupbearer, when Dana became the cupbearer. It wasn't when he was praying those many days to, to King Darius, not to King Darius, to God. When King Darius made that decree that no one should bow to anybody but King Darius. That's when God got the glory. That's when they grabbed Daniel and what did they do? They threw him in the lions' den. And in that lions' den the Lord protected him. He was able to be safe. But that scripture is read right after they pulled Daniel out of this. They said, "Man, you went through all of that and you're fine and you're okay? We worship in the wrong god. Now God gets the glory." But think about Daniel. He had to go through that. That was rough. That was lonely. That was hard. But that's how God gets the glory. I know that did not make sense. Daniel was like, I was being faithful. I was serving God. Now I got to go through the lion's den. But that's how God gets his glory. Don't trust Daniel? Fine, we'll read another verse. Let's read Daniel 3, um, verse 29. Therefore, I make this de- decree. If any people, whether they're race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. That is some this man had people bowing down to a statue. And then after this, he said, if y'all not worshiping the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, tear the limbs up, destroy the house, because this is the God. This is the true God. And to that we say, amen. But don't forget, how do we get there? God didn't get the glory when they were serving faithfully or when they stood up and said, we're not going to bow down to this idol. No, God got the glory after they went through that fiery furnace and they were able to come out healed or not healed, but okay and protected. And now everybody's like, hmm, that's the God. That's the new God. And and that's the crucial thing that I keep saying. We got to teach this stuff. We try, to say, we try to say, kids, you got to do it for the glory of God. When you do it for the glory of God, remember that there's going to be some dif- discomfort on the way. And I'm not saying shy from it. I'm just saying, hey, know this when you go in. Because if I'm being honest, I think a lot of my friends, they got tore up because they weren't ready. They were ready for the glory of God. They were ready to do all these things. Then when those attacks came their way, and like that girl that we talked about before, why did I have to go through this? You had to go through it for the glory of God. But like I said, I just want you to be prepared. I want you to understand that. And again, this isn't, this isn't what gets kids to come. This isn't the stuff that, this isn't selling about God. This is telling about God. This is who he is. And like I said, like I said um, what gives God glory gives us discomfort. A lot of times we say, oh, I got a new car. Glory to God. Mm, anybody with good credit can get a new car. Or, or we say, I got a, a job promotion. Now the co-workers will know that God is real. Anybody with good work ethic can get the job promotion. What gives God glory is when you can go through it, when God can take you all over the place, when you can go and just be destroyed, and not, but not be destroyed, but come out. You may come out with some bruises and some bumps, but you come out okay. And, and then you can say, man, that was God. Have you ever met those people that you know their story and you're like, man, how did you deal with this? How did you deal with all this loss, all this pain? And they just simply say, because of God. Yeah. That gives God glory. That's what it's about. And, and, and so I'm done. Again, remember in his presence and his promise, his powerful perspective and his, path and his path and his plan. But I do want to end with this one too because there was something that I read that kind of messed me up a little bit. It says, in verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, no, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. When I read this, I kind of was like, but Lazarus died. Even though it won't end in death, Lazarus still died. Like, but you said in verse 4, Jesus, this, this, it's not going to end in death. And then I thought about it, and it was like, it won't end in death. And so sometimes you've got to go through it to get to it. That's the last point. You don't got to pee in it, but that's okay. Sometimes you got to go through it to get to it. And that's, that's crucial right there. Again, we talked about, um, well, not we talked about, but at Southside, we talked about walking through the wilderness. Sometimes it's not walking to the wilderness, it's walking through the wilderness. Sometimes you got to get through it to get to it. So I'll tell you all a quick story. You guys will laugh. It's corny. It's like a dad joke. And then after that, we'll be on our way and, and we'll be good to go. So um, when I was in college, when I was in Philly, one of my best friends who like, praise God, he's a youth minister now too, which is, excuse me, which is awesome. Um, You know, when you know somebody's past and you know that you're like, oh Lord, I don't know how you're going to work with them. God, God worked with him and and brought him out. So praise God, he's a youth minister now. And um, we were on the way to his grandmother's house. Now my friend didn't live in the hood in Philly, but he lived in like the hood adjacent, if that makes sense. So It was Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not a big football fan, I'm a big food fan, amen? So when it comes to Super Bowl, I'm there. If you got some food, oh yeah, what team you need me to root for? Yeah, yeah, just pass me the chicken wings. So I am big on food. So we're driving to his grandmother's house. Now my friend is at his grandmother's house. Me and my roommate are driving. And we're driving, we're driving through, and and we're on our way from, from, it was really like Jersey to Philly. And we, we get stuck. And I'm looking around, and, and it's kind of a rough neighborhood. I see some colors. I see some red and some blue, and I ain't talking about the American flag. And so I'm like, bro, where are we? So I call my friend, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, we on this road and this road. He said, oh, you in the hood. He said, you don't got to stay there. I live past the hood. You got to go through the hood to get to my grandmother's house. And so this is how the the little dad joke that I said. Sometimes it's over the river and through the hood to grandmother's house we go. And so that's why I say sometimes you gotta go through it to get to it. Sometimes you gotta go through that dark place. Sometimes you gotta go through that rough time. Sometimes God is not gonna make sense. But when He doesn't make sense, remember he, He. You gotta focus on His presence and His promise. You gotta focus on His powerful perspective, and you gotta trust in His plan and his path. And lastly, I don't know if, if um, I'm, I'm going to do just offer, offer the baptism pool up for anybody because that's just something that I always have to do no matter what. Um, These three points apply even with giving your life to Christ. Trust in his presence and his promise. Trust that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he died on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you accept him and confess and believe in him, and um, give your life to Christ, go down in the waters of baptism, you will have that promise, um, that promise of the Holy Spirit and eternal life. Trust in his powerful perspective. I think sometimes when we, we preach these things and ask people to give their life to Christ, a lot of times that shies them away, they, they say, like, I'm not worthy enough, or you don't know what I've done, or you don't, you don't understand where I've come from. Trust in, yes, you may have come in, from that dark place, but no matter what, God's power can change all of that. He can change your situation. He can change your life for the better. I promise you. I know there's people here that will agree with me. God will change your life for the better. He has that type of power. And then trust in his plan and his path. After you come out of that water, after you come out of a new creation of Christ, there's a plan for you. And God has a path for you. And it's, it's lined up. I think about my mom every time. Um, she's a big Michael Jackson fan. And, and at the... at, at the um. The gym, they always play the, the Billie Jean um, music video where he's walking and, and the lights light up whenever he takes a step. And, and my mom is always like, That's how I live my life. Anytime God lights up a step, I take a step forward. And then he says, All right, over here. And she takes over here. And, and that's the path and the plan that God has for you. It's not your plan and it's not your path. It's not going to look like the way that you want it to look like either. Um, a lot of times, like I say, I'm not a preacher. I am a teacher. I really should have said, I'm whatever God calls me to be. If God calls me to preach, I got to preach. If God calls me to teach, I'm going to teach. If God calls me to work at Home Depot during COVID, I'm going to work at Home Depot working midnight shifts. It don't matter. Whatever God calls me to do, I'm going to do because he has the plan and he has the path. So if anybody is outside the body of Christ, this is the time um, we're going to sing. And um, I'm pretty sure the elders will come in and, and, and talk to you and, and we can... Uh, improve your relationship with God at this time. And to that, um, I'll I'll close with a prayer. Is that good? Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can just dive deep into your word. I pray um, you help us with our belief, Lord. Help us to understand that you are in control. Help us to trust in your power. Help us to trust in your presence. Help us to trust in your promise. And help us to trust in your plan, Lord. Strengthen us, guide us, lead us Help us to follow your will and not our will, Lord. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Randall. Yes, yes.